You are Locked On Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, good evening, everybody, for what will be your Thursday uh, episode of Locked On Browns, inching closer and closer to the home opener, season opener, Sunday uh, versus the Tennessee Titans. Obviously, you know, we got uh, Packers. Uh, we have the Bears tomorrow night. Which you know, hey, we'll we'll get to some of that because look, it's it's real. It's the live McCoy, so we can get to that. Um, your local experts on the biggest stories, Pete Smith, along for the ride as always. Your daily delivery of all things dog pound as we roll on through here on Locked On Browns. Um, I do want to uh, thank again um, Mac Weldon as the the sponsor here for the uh, first uh, the kickoff episodes here on. Um, the Locked On NFL Network here, sponsoring the opening week. Um, promo code Locked On, 20% off. Whatever you're wearing right now, it is not as good as anything you get from Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon, shirts, underwear, socks, sweatpants, all that good stuff. And uh, make sure you're checking it out. Use the promo code Locked On to get 20% off from the fine folks over at Mac Weldon. Pete, I guess the easiest way to start this today, and the simplest way, would be. It's not just color rush anymore. Um, I guess we label it primary, but still, it's their best look. And you get to look, you bring Odell into this. That's another way to pump these jerseys out as you go ahead and replenish for what's going to be, you know, obviously a huge uniform change going into the 2020 season. But um, obviously, good for the Browns to push this. Obviously, very, very good for the NFL for once in their lives to do something that's going to, you know, accommodate a fan base, accommodate, you know, a franchise. Uh, this is a win-win for everybody. Uh, it's a win for anyone who watches tape or wants to watch the game live or wants to watch the Browns play at all because you can read them. Uh, <laughs> that's the best, biggest, best thing. And I know, like I saw Brandon Leister tweet this out. That was my immediate reaction is I, I can read it. They, they, they look great. I mean, they look awesome. And, you know, that was everybody's obviously their immediate reaction when they saw them is why can't we – you know, why can't the Browns wear this every week? And now they are, which now obviously begs the question, um, are they, is this or some very small variation yeah. adjustment from this going to be what they roll out for uh, 2020? Uh, obviously this is super popular. If it stays that way, uh, that, that could make things interesting in part of this, but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you, you get to roll out on Sundays and it's just one more thing that has everybody sort of jacked up and, you know, there's going to be so much juice uh, for like the first home game, uh, you know, all these people are flying out because they're excited because the Browns are coming out. They're excited because, you know, this could be the first time they could see Odell Beckham and catch passes from Baker Mayfield in, in a real format that actually matters. Uh, th- this is the first time you're going to get to see, you know, Sheldon Richardson, Olivier Vernon playing alongside Miles Garrett in a, in, a, in, a, in a thing that matters. And on top of all these other things, you've got these uniforms that everybody, you know, this is the most, you know, other than like getting Odell, I, I, it may be even more than that. I think yeah. this might be the most universally loved move uh, the Browns have made. In, in years, uh, I, I can't think of anything else that's, that's more, been less uh, disputed than this move. 
Uh, it look, and it, it, it is. It, it's just a solid look. And I go back to years ago, and obviously you guys know I'm a little bit older than Pete. And, uh, you know, San Diego State football had a little heyday with Dan McGuire and Marshall Falk. And they were like the first ones that I can remember that went black on black. And it was just, it was a bad look with the red helmets. It, and it gave you like, you know, the Bulls even kind of went to that look later on with the Jordan years where they went just all black, you know, with some road UDs. But yeah, obviously you can't do that with a color scheme. And the NFL's really never really going to really truly push a black on black. But it's it's the best look in the combination of those colors. And I still go back to that Jet Thursday night game where it's like they just, everybody just looks faster it's a clean look uh it's it's good i mean look i, I i'm excited about it um obviously they can at they're doing at minimum they can wear it for eight games you know obviously they only control what they're wearing you know for home games but minimum there's that so uh you know look everybody's it's just another thing to add to essentially pete what is you know hopefully to be the great cocktail of the 19th season. It's like, all right, even more. Like everybody is just that much geeked up. And it's just one more thing to amp it up a little bit more. Absolutely. I mean, there is, you know, this is the era of unbridled enthusiasm and it's just one more reason to sort of, you know, get past, you know, I think this is one more thing that sort of allows people to get past the, you know, the old Browns moniker and get, you know, get sort of with this, new reality of how good this team's going to be and where they can go and know everything's not going to be perfect, but you know, it's your permission to sort of put the baggage down and just have fun and see where this thing's going to go. And that's what it's all about here. Uh, you know, obviously we're in the realm here, Pete, where the last couple of days, a boatload of money is getting handed out within the NFL. Um, today, no different. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott cashed the hell up. And, of course, now, you know, Jared Goff, uh, early, early this morning, cashed up as well. Um, kind of, you know, guys, when we talk salary cap here and people are like, whoa, da, da, da. guys, this is kind of a sign and a kind of a sign of things to come. Pete? Yeah. Um, first thing, I saw a tweet from Lewis Riddick that just – irritated the shit out of me on this subject. This idea that like fans are pro owner and pro team because they get caught up in contracts with players and they're like against players getting money when there are, there are, there is a certain population of people that are always irritated at the quote unquote spoiled athlete and they're getting paid to play a game. Sure. But anyone else is just entirely looking through this of the lens of these are the rules of the game and your team is better off when a player takes less money. Uh, so if you were to, you know, pay these guys outside of a salary cap structure in addition to the salary cap. So for example, I was thinking of this, thinking of, uh, of this uh, when this sort of came up, if let's say the, uh, the salary cap, for NFL teams only mattered so far as contracts this year. So what I'm saying is, let's say, as an example, uh, let's say the Browns were to cut uh, Odell Beckham, you know, just, just to throw it out there, and he's got X amount of guaranteed dollars. And instead of dead money, the, the team would have to pay that, but the, that money would exist outside of the salary cap structure. They'd pay it but the player would still get it. 
and and no impact on the salary cap. It would entirely be year to year. No one other than that population I just mentioned is going to be annoyed at that contract or that player getting that money if it doesn't impact their team and their ability to maneuver. So, like, you know, he's trying to talk about this in terms of, you know, Ezekiel getting this new money most most of all and people sort of being annoyed at, at Ezekiel Elliott or whatever. And I, again, I'm sure there's a certain amount of people that are annoyed because he's a quote-unquote spoiled athlete. He's had his issues off field and whatever. But anyone else who's sitting there concerned about this is probably a Dallas Cowboys fan going, oh, my God, look at the salary cap. Uh, so that's the thing. So beyond that, uh, I, I think the Cowboys have, have made taken a, a significant risk with this, I assume, I haven't seen any updated things. There are outs on the Ezekiel Elliott contract. I, I've heard three years is when they start having outs. But they've locked up their entire offensive line. They've locked up uh, one of their linebackers. Uh, so from that angle, you can say the Cowboys have completely operated the salary cap counterintuitively, like they're essentially backwards, by paying linebackers, running backs and all of their offensive line as opposed to just a few of them. They haven't paid uh, deck yet, though that is coming, uh, especially now that the uh, golf deal is done. And then, you know, that may not, you know, Amari Cooper may not get his money and there may be some other players who don't get their money, but the Cowboys Byron are basically, Jones. yeah, Byron Jones is a great example. Uh, the, the Basically this, they're pushing all their chips in and they're saying they're going to win this year. And I don't even know if they can make it to next year with that with this team in tech. But essentially, they're saying we're going to win it all this year, uh, or we're going to be in trouble. And if it works, and they do, and there are a lot of people who think they're going to win this, you know, our Super Bowl contender. I am not in that group. Most of them are in Texas. Yes, uh, that's certainly true. But if it works, great. But I, I you know, I, I think this is going to ultimately end badly for them. And there is nothing more, uh, you know, likely to happen that Jerry Jones gets in a contract dispute with a player and Jerry Jones folds. He folded like a house of cards on this one. Could not fold worse. I mean, he gave, it seems like he gave Ezekiel even more money than I thought, think they were initially even trying to get. Uh, so it's fascinating from that standpoint. Uh, Jared Goff, is a really difficult situation. Um, I don't think he is that guy, but I also understand that you can't just like try to move on and walk away from this guy. I think uh, the thing they have is though, is I think they have the perfect marriage of coach and quarterback, which maybe inflates Goff to this salary, but maybe if it was, you know, any one of say 27 other systems or coaches, he's probably not worth this money. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's 100% true. I, I, I don't think he is, you know, I don't think this is like a Joe Flacco contract type situation, but I don't think it's, you know, I, I, I don't think Jared Goff is as good as Baker Mayfield. I, I don't think Jared Goff is as good as Pat Mahomes. I, I think he's, there's a clear tier of the, up there uh, with guys who are better than him. I think he's closer to probably that 8 to 12 range. Um, and I think that may change depending on the year. And if 
you know, I know, I, I, I know the Rams are downplaying it, and right now nobody's really talking about it uh, as much. But uh, you know, if Todd Gurley's knee uh, becomes an issue during the year and they can't get that production out of that tailback spot, I, I have real questions if Jared Goff is going to be able to function at the level they need him. And now, obviously, he's making a ton of money uh, that you have. He needs to be great. And and the other part of this, I suppose. It's not as if Jared Goff is necessarily done growing. He can still get better. There's still more in there. I, I don't – again, I don't think he's going to get to where uh, he warrants that massive a contract. But, you know, this is one of those things where uh, by the time it really starts kicking in, the salary cap – and obviously this is uh, dependent on the CBA and how that works out. But uh, it may not be as bad. Uh, but still, obviously, he's getting a substantial amount of money. Uh, and, and again, I don't think he's quite that good, but I, I, I totally understand it. Uh, look, I mean, uh, for Ezekiel Elliott, look, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of the, what's, you know, dripped into the football world of the fantasy community where what are running backs worth and things of that nature, as far as, you know, you know, and, it, and a lot of people will say it with Dallas is, well, if you put all this money in the offensive line, you know, is, at the offensive line, is it Ezekiel Elliott? Look, it's a combination of it's a combination of both. It's a really good offensive line. Ezekiel Elliott's a really good player. Um, how long Dallas can sustain at, at, at where they're going right now? That's going to be the interesting one because I mean, it, it just seems that everybody there right now is making a ton of money. You both your tackles are well paid. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is well paid. You just paid Jalen Smith. You just paid Ezekiel Elliott. You got to pay the quarterback. It's it's an obscene amount of heavy contracts, and it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But you know, let's let's not dis you know take ourselves away from the fact that Ezekiel Elliott is probably I would say right is it okay to say I I would say arguably is probably the best running back in the game right now. Is Zeke? Uh, well, I mean Barkley's good, but he got him on the rookie contract. Todd Gurley, there's a lot of question marks, but. Look, when he's out there and when he plays, it, you know what you've got. Yeah, there's no question. Obviously, he is the straw that stirs the drink in that in that offense, which is, you know, why why I'm not, you know, I don't trust Dak to the level some others do. Um, I, I obviously that's it's a big deal. Ezekiel Elliott is one of the the best running back prospects I've ever seen, uh, in terms of just being an absolute complete back. Uh, he could. He obviously was a terrific runner, was an outstanding blocker, could go out and catch passes, could, you know, he, he could be a, you know, not just a, a pass protector, but was a lead blocker. He's phenomenal in that respect. Uh, yeah, and when he's on the field, he's absolutely outstanding. It's entirely an off-field question with him. Uh, and then the discussion becomes, would you rather have a guy like Ezekiel Elliott or would you rather have a guy like an Alvin Kamara type? Uh, and that's entirely a philosophical question. But, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's not unfair to suggest that Zeke is as good as anyone right now. Uh, certainly you can get arguments from Saquon Barkley. I think Zeke's better than he is still. Uh, and that's because I think Zeke sees the game better than, than Barkley does. Barkley's just such a unique freak athlete that his body can sort of fix things uh, when he doesn't see them properly. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, that's, that's why – they made the move they did. That's why they, it had the timing it did uh, and, and why you could count on Jerry Jones folding. We've seen this before. Uh, 
with Emmett Smith. Oh, uh, ages and ages and ages ago. Yeah, I mean, they, they went 0-2, uh, and then, you know, when Emmett Smith was holding out and, and Jerry Jones gave him everything he wanted, uh, and then he came back and ultimately led them to the Super Bowl. And I think that experience uh, sort of scared Jerry Jones straight on this and basically in, it, it forced him to, you know, give up the goods earlier so they could get him in camp. Uh, and, and they're talking about this, you know, lightened workload. That's because they're playing the Giants. Uh, and the Giants are awful, so he may not need to play that much. Uh, but yeah, they, 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 he's integral to everything the Cowboys want to do, and, and that's in part because they aren't, they don't have a great quarterback. They have a good quarterback. That's they have a good passing game, not a great passing game. And 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 uh, Jason Witten is still a starting tight end, which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, well, let's look. I mean, look, Jason Witten can play for another decade as long as it keeps him out of the freaking god darn booth because that was a god darn catastrophe. Uh, go to DraftKings.com now. Use the promo code Locked On. Obviously, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Um, and obviously, we thank uh, the folks over at DraftKings. Uh, you know, for all they're doing here, uh, you know, they're getting tr- trying to get their season off on the ground here. Uh, number one in daily fantasy football. Um, Mac Weldon, the mission is simple to make all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. We founded Mac Wilson because we wanted more out of our basics and always questioned how something to essential, uh, something so essential could be such a pain in the ass to buy. Um, they put the asterisks. I'm going to give you the real words. Uh, the frustration was real, and our eureka moment happened in a department store. Uh, full brands, uh, high prices. Look, you're buying underwear. You're buying T-shirts, simple stuff. You don't need the stuff marked up. That's where Mac Weldon comes in in that respect. You don't want it. I mean, look, it's it's the simple. It's the stuff you're going to wear. Mac, Wil- Mac Weldon is better than what you are currently wearing right now. They, uh, they have, you know, obviously, like I said, it's t-shirts, it's underwear, it's socks, it's simple shopping. Go to MacWeldon.com. Use the promo code locked on 20% off. They will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you've ever worn. They have a full line of silver underwear and shirts. They are naturally antibiotic. They want you to be comfortable. So they want you to, you know, use your first pair. They want you to be able to breathe everything. Look, you got to breathe down there, guys. You got to breathe. Not only is Mac Wilden's underwear socks and shorts look good, they perform well too. Uh, look, I, I have not bought anything yet, but look, if you're telling me something, there's comfort down there, there's comfort up here. Look, you guys, we're all gentlemen. We have a deal with what we got to deal with. Um, so you use Mac Wilden. Use the promo code locked on. Get 20% off. Go to MacWeldon.com. It's going to make your life a lot easier, guys. Um, and look, you know, I mean, with a lot of big ball games here, and there's going to be these late nights with primetime games, Mac Weldon might be the choice just for you. If they really want me to be comfortable, they'll send me a box of that, and I'll tell them how good it is. Uh, Pete's going to be stressing on game nights. Uh, Mac Weldon, we have to reach out to you. Uh, that'll be the ultimate performance as you know pete the quarterback coach has a team that runs for 500 yards a game it's got to be an interesting one buddy it's got to certainly be an interesting one uh pete look i mean 
there's no more longer here. Um, I do want to get to this. Look, I mean, we're going to get to talk about a football game tomorrow night. So we'll slip this in here. we got a bunch, bunch of listener questions. We'll get to that in the next segment here. But, Pete, uh, we got Packers. We got Bears tomorrow night. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and looking Canadian. You know, the Canadian tuxedo, denim on denim. Looking like a character from the Happy Gilmore movie. But, look, this game's about one thing and one thing only. Where is Mitchell Trubisky in year three? hundred um, percent. That, that question, um, if he is – and this, this could be an evolution over the course of the season. It doesn't necessarily have to come out right this second. But nevertheless, if, uh, Matt, if, if, if Mitchell Trubisky is good, the Bears are a contender. If he's average – they're probably going to get knocked on the playoffs. If he's bad, they can get to the playoffs and they're going to get knocked out. And he becomes Mark Sanchez. Uh, that style of quarterback where you're sitting there going, we are really good, but this guy's hurting us. So if, if Mitchell Trubisky shows growth over this course of this year, I mean, the Bears are going to win games because their defense is absolutely insanely good. Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks are incredibly good. They've got, you know, a great safety in the kid from Alabama whose name escapes me at the second, who's all kinds of good. They just have talent all over the place. Jackson. And if they can get good quarterback play out of, out of them, they just become in un, the team you do not want to see. Like right now you're sitting there going, man, I, I, I hate to have to play against this defense, but offensively we kind of know what we're going to get. And that they've got receivers, they've got interesting weapons there, but it, you know, to this point, last year, so much of that felt like the coach was finding ways to make it work as opposed to the quarterback was progressing and, and making them a better team. So it's a hundred percent the thing that, I, I, that I'm fascinated to watch it because to this point, uh, I, I've, I've felt like Trubisky is very tentative. He doesn't always have a good sense of what's going on on the field. And, you know, and, and, and nobody likes, you know, I, I know Bears fans hate to hear this, but he still cannot throw left at all that well. And that's a huge problem. So, you know, th- th- this could be the year where maybe, you know, his second year with this coach, uh, you know, obviously his third year in the league, he substan- you know, got a, got a full year of experience, you know, his third training camp, he can make a giant step forward. And if he does, the Bears are, are as good and as dangerous a threat to go to the Super Bowl as any team in the league. And if he's not, then that's going to be the whole thing that's following them. Um, even still, though, it could be similar to the Bears team that went and played the Colts in the Super Bowl, um, where it's, you know, the defense is that good. I mean, they're capable of forcing turnovers. They obviously have a solid, solid pass rush. Um, obviously, a lot of it is going to be on the rookie running back, Montgomery. Um, so it, he could play, you know, don't screw it up football type of stuff. Um, but we'll see. I mean, look, it's it, it's week one. You know, Aaron Rodgers is foaming at the mouth because, you, know, you know, now it's, you know, starting to get almost like an injury, um, you know, a, a label to Aaron Rodgers in his career. Um, you obviously got Devontae Adams. You got Aaron Jones. There's weapons there. Um, and Green Bay is obviously invested a lot into their defense. So I'm looking forward to that tomorrow night. I'm certainly looking forward to how all that's going to play out. Um, I, I don't know which way to go here, personally. 
I, I think it's going to be Green Bay just because Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, Pete, when they're like almost viewed as like almost a little bit of the sleeping dog, that's when you really get worried about them. Uh, I think the Bears are going to come out and win this. Uh, I, I, I think the Packers will get good. Um, but injury have, has already affected the Packers, as it does so often. They, they've lost, obviously, their, their 12th pick in the draft. Uh, and I think uh, Darnell Savage will get better as the season rolls along. But I, but I think this is one of those teams where Aaron Rodgers is going to be very good, but I, I don't think the rest of the team is quite there. And I think that's going to be a team that evolves. Meanwhile, I think the Bears – especially in this type of environment are going to come out and just really put the clamps down on them defensively. And I, and I don't, you know, this is a game where I expect Aaron Rodgers is going to take, you know, a ton of hits because he tends to hold on to the ball too long uh, by virtue of him trying to make plays anyway. And the bears just have the type of pass rush that can make an impact like that. So, you know, defense is one of those things where it, it tends to be very consistent, and the Bears had a historic run. I don't know if they'll be quite that good this year, but they're very, very good, and, and I think that's ultimately going to be the difference. Uh, me, I'm certainly looking forward to Khalil Mack and obviously David Bakhtiari, uh, you know, two of the absolute best in the game. So certainly, certainly, obviously looking forward to that. Um, you know, you always – uh, you know, not everybody gets into those, um, but, you know, pure football enthusiasts like Pete and I, that's stuff you look forward to. I mean, that's, that is a great A, and you're talking about two potential Hall of Famers, and that's something that's going to go on for years and years. It's time to celebrate, folks. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, has huge week one contests. The first one starts tomorrow night, guys, um, when the uh, Packers and the Bears obviously kick off in a single-game showdown with 2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the burn as we get through the uh, you know the primetime matchup between the Bears and the Packers here. Uh, stay under the salary cap. Draft six players and go up against the competition. Uh, pl- uh, plus, with new users who sign up today at DraftKings using the promo code no space all caps locked on, will receive a free shot at the one million dollar top prize. Nothing adds to the sweat of the games or the daily fantasy game of watching the game quite like having a shot at a million dollar payday. Get in, get in on the uh, season or open action. Season opener action. Uh, download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code Locked On. Like I said, all caps, no space. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to five hundred dollars. And new users don't miss this extra special this week. One bonus. Enter promo code Locked On to get a free shot at the one million dollar payday again. Promo code locked on, all caps, no space at um, DraftKings. Go ahead and download the app. Antonio Brown is now with the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell is an East Coaster. Odell Beckham, obviously a Brown. Andrew Luck, we'll miss you. Uh, and hopefully you come back soon because uh, we enjoy star players in the NFL. One thing's not changed, where we are putting the money on games when we do bet. Where are we going to put it at? We are going to put it at MyBookie. It is the place to bet football every weekend. 
MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sportsbook, period, guys. This year, they are hosting their first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and sh- uh, score your share of the huge uh, huge cash prize pool. Only going to recommend somebody that's been good to us in the past. Obviously, my bookie has been a long, long time. Uh, you know, somebody who's, you know, obviously you know, promoted here with through the Lockdown Network. We're proud to work with them. Why do we work with them? Because we appreciate them and we know the simplicity of them. You bet, you win, they pay. My bookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for everybody, fantasy is huge now. You can even bet on the over-under on uh, fantasy points scored by whichever player you are currently interested in. Pick a guy. You can go ahead and put your money there. They will currently, right now, match you $1,000, 100%. You put down 1000 they will match it 100%. Gives you two grand to play with. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, spaced in between, to activate the offer. Uh, activate the offer. Go to mybookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com. Uh, it is just that simple. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, with a space. They will match you 100%. Bet, win, get paid. It is literally just that simple. Pete, uh, one of the questions we do have here is, is John Dorsey going to break out the checkbook? And is anybody else going to get extended? Uh, I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I, I'm, we know what we wish the answer was. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, look, I, there are a lot of things you can say that John Dorsey is doing a great job with. Um, you know, talent acquisition, uh, there's some, you know, some trades that have been just great, including, I think the one that, you know, I think that the trades that he made, you know, within the last week have been very good, but this is everything that made you nervous about hiring John Dorsey is on display right now in terms of salary cap. And look, there are, you know, they can obviously get done deals done during the season. They could get deals done, you know, right after the season, well before free agency and all that. But much of the reason he struggled in with the salary cap in Kansas City was waiting too long to sign contracts, signing guys out of order, and ultimately sign bad contracts or uh, contracts to to just just in the absolute wrong order, which created these awful contracts, which, you know, then they had to dig their way out of, uh, you know, the, in 2017 and 2018, which they've sort of now gotten out from, but like that Eric Berry contract was just awful. Justin Houston's contract was terrible. Uh, you know, they, they've got all these. Don't pay them at 30. Pay them for 26, 27, 28. Don't pay them for the north side of 30. But, I mean, like, some of these things, like, you know, if you're not going to pay J.C. Treader now, like, what is your plan there? Like, what are we waiting on? Like, I, I don't understand what we're trying to make him prove here. He played on a one leg last year and was very good. Like, you know, at some point you'd think he's done enough. Go ahead and get this guy locked up. Joe Schobert, obviously, that we think is great. It, it just feels like they tried 
to negotiate this thing with Demarius Randall, that thing hit a giant snag and, and they've been sitting on their hands ever since. And again, I, I, I would love nothing more than him to come out and say, we're going to, you know, these are some of the things we're going to do, but the fact the inaction sort of makes you feel nervous because, and, and part of that's just because it doesn't feel like there's a true direction, like with where this thing's going to go. And there's some, there's that sense of uncertainty with, you know, what are they going to do at some of these positions? And, you know, on some level, that's just, you know, you can certainly say that John Dorsey has a plan and he just hasn't gotten to it or, you know, gotten to where, where he wants to be in it to start doing these things. But it just makes them sort of look uh, uncertain, which, you know, I, I can't imagine helps uh, with some of those players in the locker room. But it's like one of those things, you, you get these guys in here, uh, you want to reward some of your own players that you brought in or were already here or whatever and, you know, not make everybody feel like it's just outside mercenary types that are coming in and getting the money. And it's, you know, some of these things are just good business. Again, J.C. Trider seems like the easiest decision you could possibly make, and yet we haven't made it yet. And the last time, you know, the only time you basically hear anything with J.C. Trider was basically saying that, uh, he wasn't going to address it in public, but at that point he hadn't heard anything yet. That's like, I don't, you know, that's the stuff where you sit in the ground. What are we doing? Um, and with JC Treader, like, I mean, I've talked to people close to JC Treader. He has zero desire to go anywhere else. He loves it here. Um, you guys have heard on the show. You've heard Kevin Zeitler talk about his exploits. You've heard Joel Batonio talk about it. it. It just seems such an easy one. And usually when they're that easy, they're usually not that economically difficult. Um, J.C. Treader's proud of everything he's done at this point. You know, he's not looking to turn around and tell, you know, he doesn't want to be the you know, the trendsetter at the center position. Just wants some, secure, some security. And that would be one that's simple. And look, I mean, and he's ideal for Baker. And that's usually what kind of matters in these situations. So let's go ahead and kind of at least wrap up one or two of these, Mike. God, you got the money, and here's the thing of it. You've got the money, so you can give a lot of these guys a lot up front right now. That's the thing, and then make it easier as the year goes on. Not having to cut guys in year three or four of a deal because now you're on the hook for $16, $17 million, whatever the reason may be. Um, next one here. Uh, Pete, I, I, gotta, I recorded the crossover last night. You get a night off, and – this, the Sashi talks come come back up. Um, look, I mean, guys, he did what his job was supposed to do. It would have been fun, Pete, right, to at least get him to to watch him follow it through. I'm sorry, say that again. You cut out. No, um, it was obviously you know last night. Obviously, you know, I I did the crossover episode. Pete gets a nice off night off, and then all of a sudden, the Sashi talk comes back up. He did the job he was hired to do to a certain point. And the thing is, we and we would have liked to have seen him follow through. Well, there, there's a couple things that that bother me on on the Sashi Brown thing. Uh, the first is Sashi Brown tanked one year. One, he tanked 2016. They obviously let go of a bunch of players. They traded, you know, they traded down to the studs. All those things. They made a massive mistake. And a miscalculation on the Mitchell Schwartz thing. That that is a you know, one of the biggest things done wrong. Uh, obviously, Corey Coleman was a big miss. 
Uh, and, and some of the other players didn't work out. They got, you know, Richard Higgins. They got Joe Schubert that first year. The second year, they tried to win in the front office. They tried to trade for three different veteran quarterbacks, including but not limited to Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, what's his face? And Tyrod Taylor at the behest of Hugh Jackson at that point. The Patriots were unwilling to deal the, the uh, Jimmy Garoppolo to the Browns because they were afraid that the Browns were such a shit uh, a uh, shit storm that Jimmy Garoppolo would end up leaving and he'd go to the Jets. That was their fear 100%, so they wouldn't deal with him. The Bills weren't willing to move on from Tyrod. Obviously, they went to the playoffs. Uh, and then you got into that whole business of the uh, – Halloween massacre. Yeah, you got into that whole business. But that was the year they signed J.C. Treader. They signed Kevin Zeitler. They signed uh, McCourty. They signed a bunch of veteran players to come in and win. But the head coach kept messing with the quarterback stuff, tore it down to the studs. This was on him because it was his quarterback room. This is documented. Uh, Got rid of Josh McCown. Got rid of RG3. Got rid of Brock Osweiler. Got rid of everything that had any experience that said, Deshaun Kaiser's the man. He couldn't play dead. He threw, he, you know, after saying he was going to make him into a franchise quarterback, he threw him under the bus, ruined him, and then had Kevin, Ho- nothing but Kevin Hogan and uh, the other one. Uh, Kessler. Yeah, Cody Kessler. They, they, they had nothing. And you saw, that's why they went 0-16 that year. It wasn't because, you know, they had Miles Garrett, David Njoku, and all these young kids. They brought in veterans. They played Josh Gordon the last four games. Like, that is not a tank move. That is trying to win desperately. And yet, all these people are like, well, he tanked two years. He didn't. Freaking coach did. And, and if, 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 if Deshaun Kaiser could have hit broad, the broad side of a barn, they probably win three of those games with Josh Gordon. Uh, but, you know, that comes down to absolute luck. You know, there's the other part that you knew they weren't tanking, and that is the reason they traded for the, the extra first-round pick and the two second-round picks was they they were preparing for having to trade up to go get their quarterback in 2018. It just happened to have fate step in. The Browns finished dead last, get the first pick in the draft. Deshaun Watson tears up his knee. They get fourth pick in the draft, and then they still have those second-rounders. Everything was predicated on the idea they were going to be like the Jets were, in getting Sam Darnold, trade up, go get their guy, and move on. That was the plan. It just sort of worked out that way. Uh, the other part that bothers me is the idea that Sashi Brown wouldn't have picked Baker Mayfield or would have picked anything else. Sashi Brown wasn't evaluating anything. He had guys he hired, the team of people he hired, including guys like Andrew Barry. Uh, who is his sort of his chief lieutenant on the scouting side and, and embraced analytics quite a bit. They had uh, Ken Kovach come in and run the analytics department. Uh, and Andrew Barry obviously left uh, a couple weeks before the 2019 draft. They had Andrew Healy, who's the guy who sort of invented Q, or one of the people who sort of invented Cubase, which Baker Mayfield scored off the, you know, insanely high uh, amount. I think one of the better ones they've ever had. And all these people who were here in 2018, minus Sashi, Sashi was the only one who wasn't back, all wanted Baker Mayfield. And the belief by some of these people is that, like, Sashi was going to, like, 
because, you know, he, he was such a renegade, not a consensus builder, which is 100% what he was. He was going to go out there and, like, trade down. They had already done that. That was the whole point, to get to this point and then be able to take their quarterback. So you're basically saying, Sashi would have been like, no, guys I hired who tell me all this stuff because I am legitimately a lawyer who looks at numbers and all these other things. No, no, I'm going to take this other guy that you guys don't aren't interested in. Uh, so they – 100% they were going to take Baker Mayfield. The other part with that is fourth pick. And, like, one of the things pe- people like to – who don't like Sashi like to say is anyone could have picked Miles Garrett. And the pushback on that is look at fourth pick. John Dorsey took Denzel Ward, and Denzel Ward looks great. He's at a position that just absolutely works out magically for this situation. But here are the guys that went after Denzel Ward that are position players. Bradley Chubb, how's he doing in Denver? Not too shabby. Quentin Nelson, how's he doing for the Colts? Uh, Pro Bowl. Uh, I, I believe he was almost alter, uh, alternate All-Pro. Yeah, that worked out. Roquan Smith of the Bears, how's he doing? Uh, he's right in line, people. If you talk to Bears, folks, he's in the Singletary Urlacher Expressway. Mike McGlinchey for the 49ers. Uh, he's going to be their future left tackle, and he's dominating at right tackle. So – Unless Sashi Brown was so insane that he was going to take either Vita Vea or Duran Payne, who are both nose tackles, it was almost an impossibility he could have missed that pick because literally all of the options are great. Like, all of them. Unless he, like, stroked out and took another quarterback or nose tackle, like the next non-nose tackle position player that, like, hasn't been good is, like, uh, I'm trying to think because like the other guys that we considered in that conversation were Jairi Alexander, who's outstanding yep. for the Packers. Uh, you were, you weren't going to, if, if you took either of those corners, you were not going to miss. If, if you took uh, Derwin James, you're going to get an absolute stud. Like uh, in terms of just like the, the first picks or the, the first round of that draft, like almost all of them, except the ones you, you obviously thought were going to be a mess have been great. So uh, what my point with this is, yes, of course Dorsey gets credit for taking uh, Denzel Ward there in the same way that Sashi and company get credit for taking Miles Garrett because it's the pick they had and they nailed it, both of them. So you either, if you're going to say, well, any idiot can take him, then I will say any idiot could have gotten fourth pick right in 2018 because literally all of them are great. So that's where this whole thing bothers me with the Sashi Brown thing. And like the other part, which I I'm amazed has not like is uh, generated a ton of ignorance. I, like I've talked with, about this with Lane Ad- Adkins over it. OBR, OBR Ben Albright uh, was on this. He's, he's initially where I heard this from Sashi Brown was told, go get a football guy to sort of round, you know, to, you know, to allow you to be more of the analytics and, and sort of strategy type thing and let them sort of be the face of the, the football decisions. He's the one who went to John Dorsey first. Their initial plan was to have Sashi be the numbers guy for Dorsey, who obviously struggled in that department at that point, and they were going to be a united front office. So, yes, Sashi is the one who initially broached the subject with John Dorsey of coming here, recruited him. Ultimately, they had the other issue with it, and Hugh Jackson sort of screwed 
Sashi Brown, they ultimately moved down from that. And there's some other things in there with that whole thing. And Dorsey was not going to be like, no, 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 no. I want, I want him there. I don't want all the power. I only want some of it. He's not an idiot. So that's the other thing with this. And I don't know, you know, this is not, for whatever reason, hasn't been uh, written on it by Cleveland reporters, whether that's ignorance or willful or otherwise. Uh, but that's it's, it's well, not, it, it's Pete, it's, you know what it is. It's not disrupting the apple cart. That's exactly what it is. But uh, no, they were, look, they were at that point, Hugh Jackson was the guy who was going to get ousted because Dorsey was already ba- uh, back channeling coaching staffs. And the guy, the guy he wanted at that point was uh, what's his face with the Eagles. Uh, not, but, the defensive coordinator, uh, wide nine guy. That yep. was they wanted him, and they wanted Bill Musgrave as the offensive coordinator, which had been awful. Uh, and fortunately, that didn't happen. But these were all happening during that season with Hugh Jackson. Ultimately, ownership had their own issues uh, with some family stuff, and they didn't want to get into this whole process of firing the coach. And and ha- they did like Hugh Jackson. That's the other part. So they ultimately stuck with it for a year. But the, all these things were going on during that 2017 season, uh, and, and that was going to be the whole thing. There was going to be this big, massive rollout where Dorsey came in, and then they were going to announce, you know, fire, fire Hugh Jackson, bring in that new coaching staff. And fortunately, in, in a lot of ways, because now you end up with Freddie Kitchens and a really, really good coaching staff, but this is sort of the way this thing has all evolved. But the, it's weird that – like, th- this is the part where, where I-, I keep pointing out that, like, Sashi did his job and Dorsey did his job. Like, those, but those two things don't happen without an, uh, another. And Dorsey's initial presser, he sort of hinted at this, that he wasn't coming here without all these assets. Like, that was the reason he came was because he had all these things coming. That was the sales pitch. Uh, you know, the, the ownership was still the ownership at that point in terms of being a mess. So it was, wow, you can't possibly screw up the situation. And that was the way they got him in here. Uh, and it's worked out great. But, like, this is where, I, I, you know, it's weird that it becomes a Sashi versus Dorsey thing when the two things are intricately linked. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost a one plus one equal two. Um, you, know, you know, look, nobody – this was the same thing when we talked about this with the head coaching hire this year. Um, what if it was is why let somebody come here who all of a sudden would have never come here for years and all of a sudden, well, Oh, well now they got something cooking. Oh, so yeah, the Browns look interesting, which why you brought in Freddie. And the same thing with John though, John came here because you want to know what it was like a home run derby for him. I'm going to get a hundred pitches and I can swing, 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 swing. And as long as I hit on X boom, boom, you know, and hit on three, four, five, whatever, that's all that mattered. Honestly, and Baker was the key to it all. But and for us, it's not that John is not doing what John needs to do. It's respecting the fact that two people put this together and, you know, how Sashi translates to basketball. I mean, I, I don't know, guys. We'll, we'll see how that Just plays out. The numbers, that's, that's all he does. And it's largely a financial thing. But, look, uh, the biggest thing John Dorsey did when he came in was get ownership out of it. Like, that was – the big win he had and, and critical uh, to this whole thing. But the reason I'm so passionate about this whole thing is I absolutely believe the Browns are going to win a Super Bowl. And when we tell the story 
the history of how they got from point A to Super Bowl, this all matters. Like, this is all going to be integral in that process, starting with Sashi Brown. And he gets every- the chapter in the book, absolutely. And then it comes to John Dorsey and what he's doing. And all of these things are important. And if, if and when, I, I believe it's when, uh, then you know, th- that's the story that's going to matter. So, like, the people, like, to me, if you are someone who, who likes the story as, as I do, you should want it to be accurate and not just invent whatever, saying, well, Sashi's an idiot, Sashi did A, B, and C, wasn't good at talent evaluation, never was ta- evaluating talent. It was the same guys who did it in 2017 and 18, uh, other than Dorsey, Elliot Wolf, and Alonzo Highsmith. And then Scott McLuhan is sort of that, that advisor. Everybody else was the same. So when you tell the story or trying to understand the story of the Cleveland Browns, that's it. Sashi and all of those guys, his team essentially stayed on and kept going. And it was just a different face on it. And obviously Dorsey has done some things that are, you know, unbelievably Dorsey, like the, the Demarius Randall. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser trade, like there's no, you know, I, I, you can't possibly think that Sashi's going to make that trade because he, you know, he, uh, Dorsey had that relationship with the Green Bay guys. Uh, and, you know, that's just a very organic to the guys they had trade. But so much of this, again, hand in hand, it goes from one guy to the other guy fluidly. It's not like it stops and then starts again. It's, it's a different thing. The only thing that screwed up was ownership's unwillingness to sort of stay with the program. But what they wanted to do initially would have been great. Like, I don't know anyone who's sitting here going, man, it wouldn't be, I, I would love to have, who, who hates the idea of Sashi being here just running numbers and stuff like that and, and still doing what he was doing, uh, trying to make the most efficient, coming up with a plan for the organization and all those things, which they're largely still following, along with Paul D. Podesta. But yeah, the story matters and get it right. Um, but look, uh, you know, everybody always appreciates a bean counter. Um, even if you don't appreciate him, you know, you need him. And that's kind of where Sasha would have came in here. Um, uh, Pete, uh, I'm doing a fantasy draft as we're doing this. Sony Michelle coming into the fold. Um, we got one here from Skylar Burkhart. And this is a um, quick hit and run here as we put a wrap on this. But, guys, it, it, it's you can hear Pete and the excitement in him. You can hear it in me. And part of it is, guys, it's not just – it's not a Sashi versus John thing because I'll be honest, Pete, both these guys have been really freaking good to us. I mean, you know, trying to do this, you know, in the middle of 2017 where it was just like they still suck, they'll forever suck. Uh, everybody put the recipe in place for both of us to be where we're at. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, we're – and the same, and this is the other part that I revisionist history crap is the people who like tell me I loved everything Sashi did. I, I said Deshaun Kaiser couldn't play the second he was picked. Yep. Uh, hey, Johnson, I, remember, I remember we started those and like, well, you know, I, I like the big arm, and you're like, ah, no, 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 no. So yeah, I mean, in, in the same respect, it, it, when I, if you've been reading, if for the people who've been reading Bronze Maven. Uh, over the past week or so, and you know, t- like me talking about those trades, like I think the White Teller trade is outstanding. Like, and I'm going to write about. There's going to be uh, there's going to be an article me talking about that. I'm not going to give too much away with it, but the tra- that trade to me is awesome. Like, it's it's going to do. I, I think he can ultimately start down the road. That's how much I think of him. 
but some of the trades he's made, like I, I love the Taiwan Taylor trade. I, you know, I don't love the the guard they picked up, McCray, but I love the concept of you took a seventh round pick and like a swap or a swap of seventh round picks, and you got a guy because you wanted to get another another capable body who understood what he was doing and you didn't want to sit on your hands and wait around. Like, that's great. Like, this is exactly what, why you want to accumulate those type of picks. But like Taewon Taylor, if he's great for a seventh round pick, you're going to love it. If he sucks for a seventh round pick, who cares? But like, it's the same thing with like Devereaux Lawrence and, and uh, you know, I've made fun of that trade as being, uh, I thought he was a tax shelter because he played two snaps last year, but he's been great this year. Uh, and, you know, if, if that holds up, then, you know, that becomes a massive uh, hit for Dorsey and another, you know, another one to sort of chalk, chalk up as a victory for him. So, like, that's and shit you know that what the thing me. about that is, though, Pete, though? That's not John Dorsey. That's the underneath people. So that goes back to this whole thing. Somebody knew about Devereaux Lawrence and somebody whispered in the ear, like, this guy, go get him. And it would have been no different, you know. I'm not saying it's whatever, but I mean, either GM, you had your feet on the ground. You had your play. You, you had your players in place to bring you this information. It wasn't John Dorsey that knew of Devereaux Lawrence. Some scout somewhere did his homework. And well, that, but that's got, the environment he has sort of created in that, you know, granted he's the guy who makes the final decision and all that, but there's a, an open environment and a, a, a one where people are feel like they're, empowered to communicate, which one has been very good. Obviously, Andrew Barry got a promotion as a result of this alt, uh, here uh, to go to the Eagles and stuff. But like it, it makes more people want to come work for the Browns front office. That's how you get a guy like Alonzo Highsmith. That's how you get Elliot Wolf. That's how you get sort of these top guys that want to be here because they feel like they're, you know, one, they, you know, you can, see all these draft assets and go, wow, we can make something special. But part of that being part of that whole thing of, I want to be part of something special and my input is valued. Uh, like there are things where, again, we can criticize uh, Dorsey on things. Uh, we can say, please stop allowing Alonzo Highsmith to take guys from Miami. Uh, but that, that collaborative process is massively important. And I think is a real asset to what the Browns have in that building. And, and I think, you know, that that's part of what has made Freddie Kitchens a very good fit is he's, he's another guy who's not look again, it's his final decision, but part of the reason he has such a good coaching staff is he has that same sort of collaborative nature in that he's not threatened when people speak up. Hugh Jackson was a guy who's threatened when people sort of spoke up to him. Freddie Kitchens, is, knows who he is, is very comfortable in his own skin. And as a result, you know, they, apparently he uh, basically, without getting into specifics, basically said that uh, uh, Todd Munkin was not the only other coach who called plays points in the preseason. Again, that's, you know, empowering guys, trusting in guys, looking out for the best in guys, and whether that's the coaching staff or the front office, those are things that will um, basically create a successful environment uh, in an NFL franchise. And that right now is the Browns who now have all these guys that are talked about as, well, Elliot Wolf's going to be a GM at some point. You know, Todd Munkin's going to be a head coach at some point. Steve Wilkes is going to get another head coaching job at some point. 
And now all those guys are talking are here. Uh, Andrew Barry already got that promotion, not to GM, but a very high, uh, high ranking position within the Philadelphia Eagles, who are arguably like the Cadillac of front office models. But that's the the big advantage right now that's going great for the Browns. And again, it sucks that Sashi doesn't get to be part of that. I, I'm very excited to see what happens with the Washington Wizards. Uh, but it, everything else is in place. Uh, the analytics department, all those things, you know, all that strategy stuff, it's, uh, it's got to, all that coming together to produce the best product. It's not always great in terms of picks and results, but the overwhelming majority of it has been excellent. Yeah, well, I mean, to see Freddie for, you know, to have the respect for others, knowing, you know, the situation he went through, and as long as it took him for his opportunity, that is no doubt about. Um, Skylar Burkhart, we'll get to his, you know, and these are like three, and they're kind of quick hit and run, and then we'll start putting a cap on this here. Biggest area of concern, Pete, for the Browns heading into 2019? Uh, I mean, I you know, I wrote about this, uh, my biggest three questions. Well, one of them was kicker. Uh, I, I should say the it's kicker 100% is one of them. The other one, you know, I, I touched on fullback, uh, but you know, realistically it's the offensive line. Um, and then the last one to me is safety. Uh, look, I, I think Demarius Randall is rock solid. If Demarius and, – and thank God he is one of the toughest guys on the planet uh, because if he goes down – that becomes a disaster in a hurry. And I don't know how they're going to get through that. But, yeah, safety terrifies me. But, uh, look, the entire focus, and, you know, I I've, I wrote about this today for, you know, three things, the, Brown, the challenges for the Browns. They have to find a way to block Jarrell Casey and all those edge rushers. It's, it's all going to be about the offensive line. Uh, and, and some of that is just by nature of the game. You're always going to be concerned about it. But because of, you know, who they have and, and what they don't have, every game that's going to be a major focus. Can they do enough to keep this offense rolling? Yeah, um, for me, I think it's offensive line. And I don't want to put, like, a heavy emphasis on it because I know Baker, you know, obviously eliminates a lot of it with the release and just how quick he reads and diagnoses. But, yeah, uh, for me, I guess it's offensive line. And, look, if you want to start playing a lot more of that up-tempo, I think it's going to aid everybody involved. Next one here. This is actually kind of interesting. More receptions. Beckham or Landry? I'll say Odell, but, I mean, in a weird sort of parallel universe, if it was 91 to 89, it wouldn't – I guess it wouldn't shock me, Pete. Yeah, I mean – I know. Yeah, I mean, this is another one. You guys teed up Pete on Sashi tonight, and then you bring a Landry, Landry question. Uh, I mean, it's Odell Beckham and everyone else, and, and, and everybody else includes Jarvis Landry, Richard Higgins, David Njoku, and then the sort of collaborative gel that is, you know, Dam- Damian Ratley, uh, Taiwan Taylor, Kadero Hodge. Not potentially even bringing Jer- in the running backs. Yeah, I mean, Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb is absolutely going to be a bigger part of the receiving game. But, you know, after Odell Beckham, it just feels like every week is going to be a giant grab bag for whoever's open. And I think Tennessee is going to be a, a great example for of that where, they're you know, obviously they're going to have to try to limit how much Odell Beckham can, can hurt them. But, you know, after that, I think it just comes down to what – 
defenses are emphasizing and where they're sort of giving up opportunities. And Baker Mayfield's a good enough quarterback where he can find guys. And so, it, it, you know, it's going to be a, a, a question. Like, I, I, I think it, after Odell Beckham, you know, whether it's Landry, Higgins, or Njoku is sort of that next guy, on any given week, I don't think it would surprise anyone if it's any of them. No, I 100% agree with you there. And the last one from Skyler is Baker Mayfield, 5K. It, I, I, I'm fully confident and safe to say it's going to be less than 5,000 yards if this goes the way it's supposed to go. Well, here's the problem. Um, if you throw for 5,000 yards, that means you're throwing for three, an average of 312 and a half. Um, if the Browns blow out some of these teams – uh, they're not going to have that many yards. They just aren't. I mean, in order for this to happen, you're going to need teams to put up points on you, and that's obviously not where you want to go. And there are going to be games where, you know, Baker has what feels like a leisurely 400, which he did last year, which is crazy. Uh, but there are going to be games where he may only have, like, 200 yards passing, uh, and it's because hopefully the Browns took care of business because he had 175 in the first half and two to three touchdowns, and Nick Chubb ran for 75 yards and had a touchdown. Exactly. Right. So much of this is going to be like, you know, if you get up three and four touchdowns, you know, God willing, fingers crossed we have this problem, uh, that you're not going to get massive uh, statistical output, or you may even have, and then, you know, theoretically, you know, part of the fourth quarter or the entire fourth quarter where Baker Mayfield is not out there. Uh, because of hopefully success and you know you, you just they're on the sideline cheering on guys who are just going out there and, and, and dominating on the defensive side of the ball or or you know uh, we'll, we're, I'm, I'm fascinated to see if if it's going to be I, I would hope Drew Stanton is going to be the guy who's not activated uh, and then Garrett Gilbert is in there because if you get in those situations then Garrett Gilbert can get some valuable reps in those spots but yeah um, there are going to be games where Baker Mayfield just may go off for 400, 400 plus, may get 500 in the game at some point. But there are going to be games where he just doesn't. Uh, I think it's statistical outs, but uh, I think for the stats part of it, it's, it would be more in probably the first half. Um, the first half, first eight games of the season. Uh, the second half, I mean, a lot of those, I mean, like, they look kind of easy. So that's kind of where that is. And no, uh, 5K, let's not go there yet. And we don't need it. You don't need it. You have a competent up. Uh, you know, with Nick Chubb, and then obviously with uh, when Kareem Hunt comes back. Pete, uh, Browns may even let everybody know where they can find everything. Uh, yeah, I mean, Google us or go to Browns Maven or go through SI uh, and link over. Uh, you can find me at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Uh, we'll see if and when some of these changes are supposed to go down. It wouldn't, you know, change where we are or anything like that. It may just change the name on the site here sooner than later. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the same as the same business as usual other than that. Uh, yeah. And look, I mean, guys, for us, uh, business is good right now. Um, we get to cover a good product. I'm enjoying every minute of it as always. Um, again, uh, at Pete Smith under, uh, at underscore Pete Smith underscore the show itself at, uh, lockdown rounds on Twitter. Um, always follow back account. DMS are always open. Me personally at Jeff, underscore LJ underscore Lloyd DMs are open. Throw a follow over there. Um, I'm going to put out the tweet Friday for the uh, Zabo apparel. Look, uh, look, I'm not asking for winners because nobody wants to be that 
douche nozzle that picks a, brown, picks a Browns loss right now. Just predict the final score. You win, Zabo Apparel, get hooked up, get yourself a t-shirt, make sure you're following me, the show, Pete, Zabo Apparel. That's part of the deal with it. And all you know, all, all of us, uh, you know, obviously with that. And look, they got a great bunch of great stuff going over there. Um, I've actually talked with them today. They got some really, really fun stuff coming. Tons of apparel, tons of Browns folks in the game. You guys uh, obviously know how I feel about the guys over at Sabo. Um, everybody, look, um, just still finding my way. I kind of feel like a kid going to school for the first couple of days here, just wandering on through this. When I get to sit down and do this. It's a nice break from everything that's going on. So, guys, I appreciate everybody's reached out. It's I, I can't even begin to thank you enough. It's it, you know if I you know th those I haven't gotten back to, I apologize because it's been that many. But thank you, I appreciate everyone for every aspect of that. And to say I'm looking forward to Sunday, man, I'm looking forward to Sunday because uh, you know obviously Monday we start services and stuff of that nature. But thank you everybody for uh, all you've been doing, being along for this ride with us. Um, we, the numbers right now are ridiculous and I appreciate it. And obviously, you know, I always appreciate Pete, uh, for the fact that he's, you know, can work with my schedule and everything that's gone on. Um, but again, it just, uh, it, it's a fun time here. We're all excited. We're all fired up to go. I can only imagine what it's going to be like in first energy come one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And I want it all. Let me know. Tweets. DMs, videos, send them to me, tag me in them. Everybody have a freaking blast. Obviously, we've still got more work to do this week before that, but this has been your daily delivery of all things Dogbound. LGB on the LOB. Let's go, Browns.